Julia, and welcome to Unnecessary Angst, your local YA teenage book podcast. I don't know why I teenage. <laughs> no, tipsy, not teenage. Tipsy. We're talking about teenagers today. We are kind I'm getting, of. I'm getting, I'm getting confused already, so this is not good. We are not teenagers. No, but these characters are really definitely teenagers. <laughs> I have notes in here that's like, oh my god. They are teenagers. <laughs> We're off to a great start. We're so good at this podcasting Oh, we thing. are. I don't know what you're talking about. This is a really smooth start. This is my second glass of wine, and it's almost gone. <laughs> yeah, I, to be fair, I'm still on my first glass of wine. I'm just jumping ahead in my notes. <laughs> well, we'll see how fun I get with my third glass of wine, because I'm definitely going to need it for this podcast. Oh, God. <laughs> Oh, God. Um, well, Julia, today we're here to discuss a full book, which we struggle with fitting this into a podcast episode, but you know what? We're going to try, even if it's long. Um, but before we get into The Queen of Nothing by Holly Black, I want to ask, how are you doing tonight and what are you drinking? I'm doing well. Um, I'm still in university project mode so i need to like get out of that it's interfering <laughs> um i'm drinking what am i drinking a sonoma coast pinot noir i went to the wine store the other day because i was out of wine and i was like i'm not gonna get california wine i'm not gonna get a california wine because it's gonna be like hugely marked up compared to the united states blah 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 although i think the lcbo's around here have a pretty good deal so it's not like super high markup but still i was like i'm in canada like I'll get, like, a Canadian wine. They make wine here. Guess what I did not get? Yes, they, Ontario has, the Niagara region has wines. Fun facts. I only knew that Canada makes ice wine, which I really like, but it's really expensive. That too. But they also make other wines, which I was like, I'll try it. You never know. I did not get a single Canadian wine. Instead, I got two California (laughs) wines. Thank you for supporting my local economy. <laughs> I was just feeling kind of like I needed a California, because my go-to is like any sort of Cabernet or Pinot Noir, and they're always from California, and I was like, I'm feeling down, I'm super stressed, there's a lot going on in my life, so I bought them. So congratulations, California, I'm supporting you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Sonoma's the closest wine county to me, so I appreciate it. I love Sonoma Pinot Noir. Actually, that's a lie. Napa's closer to me, but it's okay. fine. We'll pretend. <laughs> They're both very close. Yeah, Sonoma. <laughs> um, but otherwise, not too much going on. I went and saw my friend's place nearby, and I got to meet her cat, who is absolutely adorable. But she does this thing. Her name's Lolita. She's still very small. I think she must be, like, I need to backtrack a second. That. Why did your friends name their cat Lolita. You know, I never actually asked her that. Can you find out and just, like, tell me offline? Sure. Thank you. (laughs) That Um, concerns me a little bit. (laughs) Very cute cat, though. Ignore the Mm -hmm. name. It is a cute cat. And she does this funny thing where 
she knows how to get people's attention and she knows how to get pets so she'll walk up to you make eye contact doesn't most cats will like rub against you to get their attention to get your attention so right. she just looks at you very intensely and then falls over like literally just like falls to the ground sometimes you'll see it happening where her like front legs kind of bend a bit and then she falls other times it's just like she flops over and she's like pet me and like she's so cute that you can't not pet her so <laughs> that was my day I love that for you. I know, I know. Oh, and I drove successfully through the city. I picked up our other friend from her apartment building, and then we drove off into the suburbs, and yeah. Does Canada drive British style? Nope. Okay. Yeah. That's good, at least. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Imagine driving an American car on the left side, but on the right side of the road. Can you imagine, like, switching at the border? Um, no, I feel like that would be awful. Right? I wonder how well, Europeans do it, because don't they take their cars over uh, by, between like, France? sometimes? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Hmm. I'm look this up. Anyway, I don't have to worry about that, because Canada <laughs> is <laughs> the same as us, so. Amazing. They drive on the right side of the road. <laughs> Good job, Canada. Um... Yeah, anyway, what are you drinking, and how are you? Well, my rosé is almost gone, because I've had such a good time catching up with you so far. <laughs> um, I am drinking a rosé from my new wine club winery that I joined, because I joined a wine club, because I'm an adult now. Um, so this particular rosé is from Evoke Winery, and it is called Talk Flirty to Me. Because all of their wines are, like, sex and dating puns, and I adore it. They have a whole, like, they're fancy wines. It's, like, a separate line of wines, and they're called O-orgasmic wines. So I'll say one of those. I have a Syrah that's O-orgasmic, and also I think maybe one other, but I'm not 100% sure. And so I'll save that for another day um, on the podcast. But I was feeling something very light easy so we went with a chilled rosé for for tonight i'm doing well we went to the zoo today the oakland zoo so that was really fun got to see some really cute animals got some great pictures that that was my day and then tomorrow i have a bajillion and one doctor's appointments to schedule because i need to get my booster shot before i go to disneyland in a couple of weeks and make a doctor's appointment on my new health insurance and yeah i have a lot of stuff to figure out this week so it's gonna be be really fun so i'm pretending none of that exists and i'm just gonna drink a lot of wine tonight i love that idea i love the plan thank you and oh the most important news the new pokemon game came out oh on friday (laughs) (laughs) so i i downloaded it yesterday and started playing it it's kind of like the witcher almost i mean obviously it's still pokemon so it's very like kid friendly but it'll like tell you where you need to go for like missions and stuff and you can track multiple like requests and story like missions at the same time so there's like side quests and missions and you can like change which one you're tracking which tells you where to go which is very much like how the witcher game mechanics operate so so far i'm i'm enjoying it it's it's good um speaking of the witcher they like swords, but not as much as Jude and Maddox like swords. Oh, God. <laughs> that is true. 
And boy, is there some swordplay in this book. So we should probably start talking about the Queen of Nothing. I agree. <laughs> Great transition. <laughs> um, so bear bear with us, everyone. Um, yes. I got, <laughs> I got really type happy as I was writing the synopsis for this book. It's about five pages long. So feel free to just skip ahead, like... 20 minutes if you do not care about the synopsis of this book. But for those who haven't read the book or read it a really long time ago and need a refresher, we do want to provide a sort of like chapter by chapter synopsis. We will not be saying what chapter we're at because I did not write that down. But it's the, it's the sense of the book. It's all fun. It all blurs together in the end. Yeah, it's a, it's a quick read, right? Like, I like, sped through this book. Even though I was writing notes as I was reading it, I sped through this book. Um, so I'm, I'm very excited to talk about it. I will kick us off, and then I will pass to Julia to do the bulk of the talking, because I've talked enough. Um, okay, so, the prologue. It starts with Baby Carden, his birth, bringing prophecy that he will be the rune of the crown. And his mother, bored with the idea of rearing him, so she leaves him with a cat as a wet nurse until he can crawl. When he's a little older, Dane plays a trick on him and kills a beloved mortal using Cardin's arrow, and Cardin faces the scrutiny of that forevermore, losing access to his mother and being moved to the care of Balakin. Then we flash forward to current times. That's just to give us a sense of how sad Cardin's life has been. Um, in the mortal world, Jude is struggling to raise Oak, is missing Fairy, and is flabbergasted that Oak doesn't want to be king, realizing she is not cut out to be a parent to an eight-year-old fairy prince. Probably true. Uh, Vivi thinks that she's going to be able to get Heather back, because obviously Heather's been broken up with her, but Jude doesn't know how to explain to her that Heather needs more depth than what Vivi is giving her in apologies right now. Um, separately, Jude now has a job. She's helping rogue fairies in the mortal realm for this fairy named Briarn. He sends her to deal with a cannibal fairy, who we find out is named Grima Mog, a formidable general of a rival court, also a red cap like Matic. Jude goes to her apartment to bargain with her and threatens to burn her cap. Then they chat, and Jude agrees to fight her to get her to promise to stop eating folk, and she admits that she knows something about Cardin as well. They fight, Jude wins, and Grandma Mog tells her that Maddox has allied with her old court, the Court of Teeth, and they plan to dethrone Cardin soon. Then she gives... Um, Jude her vow and invites Jude back for another fight another time. Jude then heads home, trying not to think about Cardin and pretending she's fine if he gets conquered. No big deal. She runs into Heather. They chat about love, Jude questioning why she has the feeling she does for Cardin, and Heather helps her up to the apartment since Jude is hurt from this fight. And then Taryn is waiting for them there. Taryn wants to talk. Jude refuses, but Taryn does not let that happen. So she tells her that Locke is dead, 
because Taryn killed him, and she needs <laughs> she needs Jude to pretend to be her back in fairy. Taryn realizes that Locke tried to kill Jude for the wedding and tries to talk to her about it and apologize, but Jude shuts her down again and goes and takes a shower. Taryn gives, when she gets back, Taryn gives her and Vivi the whole story where she basically snapped and accidentally stabbed him with a letter opener. Taryn is redeemed. That's all I have to say. Um, she needs Jude to take her place in the Inquisition so Jude can be honest and say she didn't kill him. Jude agrees to do it, refuses, has a whole inner monologue about refusing to tell Taryn the truth about the marriage to Cardin, even though Vivi wants her to, and now both Vivi and Taryn know about the GS. Jude then falls asleep. This is my fucking favorite chapter of this whole book, by the way, for everyone listening. Um, Jude falls asleep in Oak's room. With a disturbing dream centering Valerian, Locke, and Cardin, Dream Cardin reminds her of her mortality, and then the dream shifts, and she's with her family. Them looking over her at her funeral, looking at her corpse, and Cardin and his posse, like, continue to be cruel, and Maddox has a bunch of shit, And after she wakes, she learns that Taryn is pregnant and feels compelled to help her. So Vivi, so Jude, Jude feels compelled to help Taryn. Vivi gets her a horse. Oak agrees to look after her ring, like her ruby ring that's her engagement ring to Cardin. And Vivi says she will explain what happened with Heather uh, when Jude comes back. Jude wanders around Locke's estate pretending to be Taryn realizes that Taryn may have wittingly or unwittingly been eating fairy fruit while she was living there, and she also finds the enchanted earrings to wear the next day when she has to see Cardin. Take it away, Julia. Also, just saying this before I continue the synopsis, we need to talk about our favorite chapters, because I also have a favorite chapter. Oh, okay. We can talk about that (laughs) after. Yes, definitely. Okay, so continuing on... Jude heads to the High King's court for the inquest as Taryn and used to moving through crowds without her old protection. She is struggling to keep her composure around Cardin and sees Nicasia. Did we ever say, or is, did we do Nicasia? Nicasia? I feel like we talked about Nicasia. This. Nicasia. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and sees Nicasia and Lady Asha nearby. Cardin appears to glamour her so she cannot lie and begins his questioning, but it doesn't affect Jude at all given the GS. She says she didn't kill him and it couldn't have been Jude, that Jude wished someone else dead but not Locke. I like, don't know why, I just looked at Locke's name and I was like, yeah, Locke. Loki. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. I mean, that Um, is one pronunciation, I guess. (laughs) Yes. But we've never said it in any of our past podcasts. He is as mischievous as Loki. <laughs> True. My mind is, like, new. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. <laughs> so she says she didn't kill him, and it couldn't have been Jude, that Jude wished someone else dead, but not Locke, which makes Cardin flinch. Nikesha wants her searched for a charm, and Cardin says he will search her in private in his chambers. Jude is trying to figure out how to get out of that or thinking if she can seduce him as Taryn when a maid spills wine, spills wine on her, gives her a knife, and says to stab a guard and run where Maddox will come get her. 
Her and Carden go into his room and she tries to keep up the ruse, but he obviously knows it is her and asks why she hasn't been responding to his letters. <laughs> he I, seems love glad <laughs> I love this. I love this. He seems glad to see her and she is confused and he says his counselors were trying to convince him she was siding with Maddox which he doesn't want to believe. Then the room shakes, she goes outside, sees a bunch of fighting, and Maddox puts a cloth over her nose and grabs her. <laughs> she wakes in a camp by Oriana and thinks about how she can keep this ruse up since they seem to believe she is Terran. Maddox tells her he lost a lot of his men because Carden's magic made the palace itself kill them. And also Jude realizes that Maddox doesn't know Terran killed Locke. <laughs> they go to the Court of Teeth and Jude steals herself to start spying and discover Maddox's plan so she can recover her crown because she has not given up on being queen. She meets the rulers of the Court of Teeth and is terrified as, though, as these are the people that tortured the roach and the bomb, but she vows to herself to make them fear her instead. She tries to get information out of Grimson, who is there, but can't get anything directly, so she, she just takes to listening to everyone's conversations, hoping Robin isn't planning to betray Carden, too. Later, Oriana, I love trying to read with all of these ridiculous names. It's just like... <laughs> it's so hard. It's so fun. <laughs> Later, Oriana warns her against Grimson, but Jude goes looking for him to see if she can get a trinket that will get her home. While wandering, she sees a, su a suspicious guarded cave, but goes to Grimson's forge instead. She asks what he is working on, and he gives her some history and tells her if the jewels from the earrings were ripped out, she would lose all her beauty as he cursed them. She also learns that Grimson tried to kill Carden with a cursed ruby, but it didn't work. He then agrees to. He then agrees she can visit him again if she wants. Jude does some foraging after her chat and. Ends up talking to Maddox, learning he plans to challenge he plans to challenge Carden to a duel, but not understanding why Maddox thinks Carden would agree. She worries she will be caught, but Maddox just goes on apologizing to Terran for it seeming like he favored Jude, even though that was just because he understood her best, but making it clear here is he is proud of Terran for killing Locke. <laughs> he explains a little why he killed their mother, and Jude wonders if she has the same battle-hardened coldness in her. She goes to leave and realizes she needs to leave the camp for good because her ability to pretend is wearing thin. She sneakily packs herself a bag and heads out, telling one guard she is going to the bathroom and heading back to the Sisabilla. Oh my god. There's so many words. I'm sorry. <laughs> no. I don't know why I'm struggling tonight. To the suspicious cave to steal a horse from one of the guards. She hears a yell from the cave and resolves to see who Maddox is keeping prisoner. She sneaks in, reminiscing on her lessons from the ghost, and finds the same fairy himself tied up in the cave. He realizes he had been a fool and starts to explain his history. He had been bound to Locke, as he told Locke his true name, and Locke is the one who forced him to portray Jude on Nikesha's behalf. Then, Locke told Maddox the ghost's true name in order to be able to marry Terran, hence why he is tied up in Maddox's court. He tells her to kill him, but she wants to free him. He tells her Grimson has the key, so she resolves to stay one more day that, so that she can help her escape. He can help her escape. Oh my god. <laughs> when she gets back, Oriana confronts her as Jude, and Jude asks her not to tell Maddox and to help her, which Oriana does not seem jazzed about. 
Oriana agrees to help but makes her promise not to move against Matic, and Jude lies through her teeth per usual. Oriana gives her some background on Lady Asha and how there is a prophecy about Cardin. Oriana makes clear her disdain for Cardin that from being raised by Asha, he is only capable of being the world's largest disappointment. Oriana sends a letter to Vivi asking for help, and Jude schemes to escape and get the ghost and exert some influence over Cardin again without falling prey to his charms. Oriana gives her a bunch of chores and then sends her to Maddock with tea. He gives her a tent of her own and later brings her to dinner, which she recognizes is probably their last cordial dinner together. Which it's not even them together, it's Tara. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's Maddox, so does he really care which daughter he's talking to? Eh. Jude wakes with a hand over her mouth, so she elbows the person in the face. It turns out it's Carden and the Roach there to save her. <laughs> Greatest deal you'll ever know. <laughs> I just love that she elbows Carden in the face. He's like, my love. And she's like, <laughs> nope. <laughs> Vivi sent them as they went to the mortal world to talk to her and Taryn after Maddox took Jude. She tells them they need to go free the ghost first. And Carden says if she goes back to Eltham, he will grant her the means to end her exile. They all head to Grimson's Forge to get the key. It is booby-trapped, but Carden saves Jude from getting hit with tarts. <laughs> The roach gets hit, and Jude makes Cardin leave with him so he can have the bomb make an antidote. Cardin gives her his magic cloak, and she heads to the ghost, but Maddox is instead waiting for her in the cave. Her and Maddox circle, and she is mollified by the fact he didn't instantly know it was her. Do you like my use of big words? I do. I was like, oh, okay, we're going there. We are, Yeah. <laughs> He sent the ghost out to hurt someone, but won't tell her who and is frustrated she is still loyal to Cardin, even though she admits she wants to be queen. She runs from him and then turns and is, a is able to stab him in the side, but she is not ready for a true fight with Maddox at full strength. They start to fight and he gets her cloak off her and stabs her in the stomach. She manages to rally and then from nowhere three arrows fly and one hits Maddox. They are followed by Vivi, Terran with Jude's sword and Grima Mock. Vivi tells Maddox how excited she is to kill him. <laughs> Maddox tries to convince Agrimamog to help him, but she refuses, and he eventually retreats. Jude tells them to pack her wound with dirt and leaves, hoping some of Cardin's earth magic will tie to her will tie to her given their marriage. <laughs> Taryn didn't realize they were married, but goes to start stitching her up. Where Jude's blood falls, flowers start to grow, and Grimamog acknowledges her as the queen, asking for commands. Jude tells them she is going to go after Cardin to save him, and Taryn gives her Nightfell and the Rackwort pony. Jude goes back to Eltham and goes to Maddox's house to get clothing so she can sneak into the palace as a disguised bard. We love bards. Yes, she writes have. a note to <laughs> she writes a note to Cardin's guard to try and slip him once she's inside. She manages to give it to another musician to pass along, and then climbs into the rafters looking for the ghost. Her stitches tear, and while she tries to tie the wound up, she starts bleeding quite a bit again. She sees Cardin dismiss her note, and then sees movement. The bomb knocks an arrow at Jude, thinking she is the one doing the assassination. Jude falls from the rafters. Everyone talks about her exile and tells Cardin to arrest her. She tells him she lost his cloak, and he calls her a dirty liar, and then tells everyone not to touch her because she is the rightful queen of Elpam as his wife, and that she is not in exile. <laughs> 
What an exchange. <laughs> the chaos. The absolute chaos. So Jude wakes up in Carden's room, aching, but no longer dying and alone. She goes to bathe and clean up and then puts on some of Carden's clothes. She wanders to her old room where Tatterfell and Oak are playing Uno, and she learns that her sisters and Heather are at dinner with the High King. I love that they're playing Uno and Fairy. Tatterfell helps her get ready for dinner to befit her new station. Then Vivi, Taryn, and Heather come in and catch her up on the circumstances of their travel to Fairy when Carden shows up at the door. Carden takes Jude on a walk with him as his queen and not as his seneschal. <laughs> yep. Definitely how it's pronounced. <laughs> Don't judge me. I think it's the, seneschal. It, it has to be, right? Seneschal. Because that's the yeah. only way it would work with the S. Do you want me to check it on Google? Yes, I do. Okay. I don't want to be a complete idiot. Keep going and I'll tell you in a second. The Roach is not dead yet, but the bomb cannot wake him, and Maddox sent Carden an angry message blaming him for Jude's death. They have a chat in the Rose Garden before heading to the council meeting for Jude to spill Maddox's secrets. Carden tells her he hates having to worry about her and that his letters were begging her to come back, which confuses her. He explains that she could have pardoned herself any time because he worded her exile saying, until the crown pardoned her and she is part of the crown. This is the best part of the whole book. I'm sorry. Is this like, like a comedy? She's such a dumbass. She is. She absolutely is. I love that she even like thought about it too. She was like, could I pardon myself? No, I don't think so. Because she never believed in herself that she actually had any power. And Cardin's like, yeah, I give her all of my power. Fuck it. I don't give a shit. (laughs) It is pronounced Seneschal, by the way. Thank you, Seneschal. See, we just learned something new. So, he had been tricking her with a riddle, trying to see if she could figure it out. Newsflash, she didn't. <laughs> this makes her mad, so she slaps him. Don't blame her. And She's admits not she in my house. <laughs> That's all I have to say. She is fucking not a Ravenclaw. So, she slaps him and admits she doesn't trust he ever actually wanted her, but he reiterates that he trusts her to do the right thing and stop him if he gets out of hand, but also to stay by his side. Man, their relationship is a roller coaster. It really is. They go to meet with the council, and Jude gives them relevant information, and then Carden kicks them out, and the bomb comes to take Jude's stitches out. Feels like these healed really fast. Yes. Lady Asher. Well, I love that. I'm pretty sure that, like, the the bomb is like, you should have had this out days ago. And in my head, I'm like, this didn't happen. Like, this happened two days ago. Yeah. Yes. I, so I don't. Confused. I don't understand how time passes in fairy. To be honest, maybe she was really like knocked out unconscious for a few days there. Oh, I. That might actually be true. Hmm. Yeah. I don't really remember. I just remember yeah. thinking like, man, why? Why a few days ago? Like, I don't remember half of this beginning stuff happened because I read it over a week ago, so it's already <laughs> been cleansed from my mind. So Lady Asha requests Jude to come visit her, and the bomb admonishes Jude for not outright showing disdain and saying no, but after her stitches are out, she heads to visit Lady Asha anyways. Lady Asha basically tells Jude that Cart will cast her aside once he's bored with the challenge she presents. Sounds familiar. 
Asha basically admits she stole the letters to keep them apart. I'm sorry. I feel like Lady Asha thinks that Cardin is as much of a Slytherin as she is. And yes. it's just not true. Like, Cardin was taken as a kid from her. Why do you think that he is anything like you? Literally nothing like her at all. He's a baby child. He is. Jude is called to the throne room, where she learns from Cardin and Nikesha that the ghost has done something to Queen Orlog on Maddox's orders not to kill her, but to make them unwilling to move against Maddox. They start to plan and strategize for the war. She gets a note from Taryn to meet her in Hollow Hall, so her and Cardin head there. She's holding the ghost hostage there because he requested to be tied up, so he didn't have to follow Maddox's orders. To be clear, the ghost asked to be taken hostage. <laughs> Proving my point, which we will get to later. <laughs> he tells her what he has done so far, and then having escaped his restraints, starts towards him, but Taryn commands him to stop using his true name, having learned it in passing from Locke. They move to a more comfortable place, and Taryn is really distrustful of Cardin, comparing him to Locke, but he says, she says, unlike, Car- unlike Locke, oh my god, <laughs> unlike Locke, love has never been a game to him. They true. head back, and Cardin... <laughs> And Cardin takes the ghost to the bomb. Taryn is surprised Cardin can be nice, but tells Jude to be wary, and Jude is slightly disappointed that Cardin never comes to their bed at that night. Be wary, sister, but I want him to fuck me. God! (laughs) The next morning, a counselor comes in and wakes Jude up to talk, which frustrates Jude given he should not be allowed in without her permission. She appoints her old friend, Fant, as the first of her queen's guard. The counselor wants her to relinquish her title, and as he suggests as such, Cardin and Grima Mog burst in, and Cardin is angry, asking to speak to her Randolin alone. Grima Mog makes Jude drink some soup to continue her healing, then Fand and Fond, I always change her name, Fand, Fond, and Tatterfell. Fand, then Fand and Tatterfell and Heather walk in with Jude's clothing, and we learn Heather made a bargain with Vivi, and that they will be going back soon. Cardin and Jude prepare for a ball that night, and prepare for Jude to bolster support from the lower court rulers by lying about their chances of survival. They have a brief chat with Roybin, and throughout the night, Jude lies her teeth off. (laughs) Naturally. Jude asks Heather what she bargained for, and Heather admits she agreed to be with Vivi, well, in Elfham, so she could help look after Oak, but after Fairy, Vivi would erase her memories of Elfham and her. She doesn't want to, but they originally made it part of the bargain that the terms could not be changed. Cardin welcomes all the guests, but says if they plan to be traitors, they will get to deal with Jude instead. Cardin and Jude eventually go back to their room and start kissing, and Jude gets anxious about sex and needs to take a mental moment to process. She strips fully and goes back to him, and they engage in the sexy times of both of them trying to figure out how they can finally open up to one another. A very healthy relationship. They've grown so much, though. They have. Um, all the major players continue to plan for the war and decide what to do with Maddox, and then his boats are spotted. Jude gets her ring back from Oak and hopes her sisters can get away fast enough to keep him safe. Cardin confesses he loves her and that her heart is his, which makes her want to strangle him. (laughs) She knows she loves him too and wants to work up bravery to tell him, but first they must parlay with Maddox. Dumb. No. Cardin introduces Jude as his wife, which shocks Oriana. 
Maddox challenges Cardin to a duel, and we learn his new sword is so powerful it can split the earth. Maddox also threatens that or threatens that Orlog will die if Cork. Oh my God, Cardin doesn't duel. <laughs> Cardin reminds him that a crown is not what makes the king, and speaks on the prophecy of his death. The throne has already come to ruination, and he reminds Maddox that the ruler is not the crown, and he would he would have to kill Jude as well as Cardin to win the rule. He then breaks the crown in half. <laughs> mean girls. Seriously, it's so mean girls. You get a piece, and you get a piece, and you get a piece. It's just plastic. <laughs> Grimson, however, cursed the crown, so Cardin starts to transform into a giant serpent. June then remember June. Jude then remembers her power and orders the guards to seize Matic and his party as traitors after people swore fealty to Cardin, given she is Cardin's chosen queen. Snack, snack. <laughs> snack, Cardin. He's always a snack, Julia. Come on. That was, that was a, a four-year slip. <laughs> you got this. I do, I do. Snake Cardin. <laughs> yes, that's the correct word. Snake Cardin attacks and kills Grimson while Oak runs towards Oriana and puts himself in harm's way. Eventually, the room evacuates, which includes Jude as well. Jude is on the verge of a panic attack, but Grima Mog talks her off the ledge and Jude appoints her grand general. She tells her to monitor the snake and tells the bomb to figure out who is siding with Jude versus Maddock and also to kill any would-be assassins. She tells Taryn to pull her together a new throne room and a wardrobe fit for a queen. The royal astrologer knows no way to break this curse, and the second part of Cardin's prophecy seems to point to him dying, which concerns Jude. The snake escapes and is snowing in the, th- in the throne room. Great end. Jude-, <laughs> Jude relocates to her new throne room to talk to the council. She informs them there is no present way to bring Cardin back, and Grima Mog gives an update that Maddox plans to attack within two days and that there's a rumor circulating that whoever slays the serpent will rule. It is moved farther away and is poisoning the land. They try to provide Jude guidance, but she won't listen and is starting to realize that she may be an unstable and somewhat tyrannical ruler. Yes, queen. <laughs> she sneaks back to the throne room, which is the snake's lair, and finds him there, pleading with the earth to fix him, saying she would give up the crown for it, but nothing changes. The bomb finds her just sitting there with the snake, which she does, which doesn't mind her, though she cannot tell if he knows her. She also wish, wishes she could have told him she loved him. In her updates, the bomb notes that Maddox wants to treat um, with Jude and see his family, and Jude allows it, but says he will not be made comfortable. <laughs> They move to the meeting spot, and Jude's family gathers, along with Maddox and the Court of Teeth rulers. Maddox tries to reason with Jude to give up, but she doesn't bite. The other leaders tell Jude they can give her a magical bridle to control Cardin, even if he turns back, which she knows is a trick, yet she craves the power. <laughs> She's insane. She's insane. <laughs> they tried to bridle him, but couldn't get close enough, hence why they are offering it to Jude. She makes Maddox free Orlog as a gesture of goodwill. She agrees to certain terms in exchange for the bridle. 
and the instructions, but then later sends a message to Nikesha asking for help. The girls and Oak sit around talking about what to do, and Taryn decides she is excited about the baby and ignores Vivi's suggestions about abortion and adoption. Heather tells a fairy tale she found out she found about a snake, and but did not find anything that seemed useful in the library. Jude goes to her room where the bomb is waiting and asks her to try and use her ma earth magic to heal the roach. They head to him and she tries and succeeds in waking him and he tells the bomb he loves her. She tells him he isn't dying and that she loves him back. Yay! <laughs> I think he says like four or five times, I'm dying, I'm dying, but I love you, but I'm dying. <laughs> and he's like, she's like, you're not fucking dying. They're like, you're Stop. fine, dude. And he's like, but I love you. I, I don't have another chance to tell you. And she's like, you will, you're not dying. I want a spin-off with them. <laughs> Same. They visit Mother Mora Marrow and Severin to learn more about the bridal, and they tell Jude the instructions she was given would bind her to it and let her know it follows a command word, likely Grimson's name. She dresses for dinner and plans how she is going to keep Maddox in the court of teeth in line while announcing the alliance and ponders if Cardin is holding up okay. She makes a big speech at dinner, telling all the lower courts the next day is for trapping the serpent and that she has struck the alliance. Then she sends Lady Nora from the Court of Teeth to talk to Lady Asha. Then Jude talks to Roybin, who basically tells her he is fully in her corner, right as Kay drifts away and punches Nikesha in the face. Yes! <laughs> Sweet justice. Yes! Jude gets stopped by Maddox as she heads there, but is able to pull out three strands of his hair. Her and Nikesha go talk, and Nikesha wants Jude to cure Cardin and tells them about their friendship and how much love Cardin has always seemingly had for Jude and for mortals in general, as he used to free them from Balakin whenever he could. They both reach a peace, but realize they don't know how to help him. Vivi and Taryn bring Jude an ancient set of armor made for one of the earlier queens, and she preps for the fight. She doesn't know if she can win, but she is prepared to turn the trick back on the Court of Teeth by binding Maddox and Lord Gerald and the snake via the bridle rather than herself. She rides out to find the snake Carden, <laughs> snack Carden, <laughs> with Grimog, <laughs> and once they happen upon him, she, is slow, she, is, she slowly starts to approach. She realizes she can't capture him and force him to live in her servitude as a servant, that she cares too much and he wouldn't want that. So she chops off the servant, serpent's head. Serpent's head. Why did I write serpent? <laughs> I love serpent. the notes saying serpent's so head. I'm sorry. <laughs> and the battle erupts around them. Grimamog attacks Lord Gerald for her while she composes herself. Then Acacia and her army arise from under the sea. <laughs> under the sea. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite Little Mermaid vibes. <laughs> no. Cardin arrives out of the snake's body, covered in blood and naked, and tells everyone that the king has returned while Jude jumps into his arms. Again, he's fully nude. She Cardin does refuses, not care. No, Cardin refuses to put clothes on. <laughs> and tells Grimma Mog she can put Maddox in chains, and once Cardin and Jude are alone in their carriage, he is able to f deflate a little and get the story. He goes to the throne room and fixes all the damage, but makes two matching thrones instead of one, so Jude can rule beside him. They both go to their separate rooms to bathe, and she runs into Heather, who tells her that Vivi is going to try from scratch to make Heather fall in love with her after she has wiped her memories, and to be truthful, her own hero's quest. Kind of sad, but... Cute. Another spinoff that we need. Yeah, exactly. Jude goes back to the royal chambers, Tatterfell cleans and dresses her, and she heads to the revel where they are eating the cooked serpent. Weird. 
That's very weird. Her and Carton dance and then sneak away, and she tells him she loves him, but he doesn't believe her because he doesn't believe himself lovable. My so heart. She tell, so she tells him how he she came to fall in love with him. He believes her and tells her he always recognized her even as a serpent. How romantic. At the coronation, Oak crowns both Jude and Carden with new crowns, given he is their heir at present. Carden then gives some presents, Maddox's new sword to Grima Mog, locks Estee and Atoll pardon to Terran, and magic masks to the Court of Shadows so they can be concealed, and it is made extra obvious that the ghost is crushing on Terran. Another spinoff. Another spinoff. <laughs> then Jude gets to give the punishments. Love it. This is the, the second best part of the book. For the traitor soldiers who don't wish to atone, they have to live as falcons and can only become fairies again if they don't injure something for a year and a day. For the ones who do wish to atone, they can come back, but their hands will be stained red. The queen of the court of teeth, the child, agrees to swear fealty, which Jude allows because Oak asks to save her, and then after Jude makes the mother swear fealty to her daughter. Then Jude disbands their court and seizes their lantern. <laughs> yes. This is such a power. You ain't a princess no more. <laughs> she like played with her with her prey. Oh my god. Maddox lasts and she makes him forget the ghost's true name, swear loyalty to her and Carden, and then banishes him to the mortal realm for the rest of his life, never to touch a weapon again. Best Does that mean like he can't even touch a knife? Yes! <laughs> He can't butter his toast. <laughs> well, they eat toast, but still. He's gonna have to just eat ramen for the rest of his life. <laughs> Cooking with chopsticks. Yeah, but the stove could be considered a weapon. Not really, no. Because it's not really yeah. movable. Okay. Oriana decides to move with Matic, and Oak wants to stay in the mortal realm longer to be with his parents. Vivi is excited about his exile because she can laugh at him struggling to learn the mortal world, and she is slowly starting to rekindle with Heather. Carden decides to come with them to the mortal realm for a party, and Jude is filled with dread. <laughs> he does okay, and they throw a little apartment pizza party to celebrate the marriage. I'm sorry, yeah. I just love the fact that they go to their apartment and just eat a bunch of pizza to celebrate their marriage. Oh god. It's the best. It's so good. It's... Way better than any Harry Potter epilogue. Right? Like, yeah. Come on. Totally. Come on. <laughs> Who doesn't okay. have a good pizza party? Um, as a special extra thing, in addition to the lovely synopses that Julia just read, um, we also have some of the letters that Dear Carden wrote to Jude while she was in the mortal realm. So I just wanted to read read some of these um the following letters were delivered by the high king's messenger into the hands of lady asha who burned each one a few in the flame of candles and the others in her hearth so she pulled a dobby in chamber of secrets <laughs> jude you are perhaps only being overcautious, but i'm writing to inform you that all is settled between the undersea and elfame the treaties are signed in seafoam and blood expectantly Carden. <laughs> Jude. Since I cannot imagine there is much in the human lands to interest you, 
I can only suppose your continued absence in Elfheim is due to me. I urge you, come be angry at a nearer distance. Carmen. <laughs> Jude. <laughs> you are in no mood for games. Very well. I am in no mood for them either. Let me write it outright. You are pardoned. I revoke your banishment. I rescind my words. Come home. Come home and shout at me. Come home and fight with me. Come home and break my heart if you must. Just come home. Cardin. Jude. Not even responding to my missives is ridiculous and beneath you and I hate it. Cardin. He is a child. <laughs> to the High Queen of Elfheim. Above me is the same silvery moon that shines down on you. Looking at it makes me recall the glint of your blade pressed against my throat and other romantic moments. I do not know what keeps you from returning to the High Court, whether it is vexation with me or whether, having spent time in the mortal world, you have come to believe that a life free of the folk is better than one ruling over them. In my most wretched hours, I believe you will never come back. Why would you, save for your ambition? You have always known exactly what I am, and seen all my failings, all my weaknesses and scars. I flattered myself that at moments you had feelings for me other than contempt, but even were that true, they would be but watered wine beside the feast of your other, greater desires. And yet... My heart is buried with you in the strange soil of the mortal world, as it was drowned with you in the cold waters of the undersea. It was yours before I could admit it, and yours it shall ever remain. Cardin. And then there's one where he just writes Jude like 70 times in all capital letters, and then says, PLEASE, JUDE! <laughs> Man who's desperate. Um... I just thought that was a fitting way to end their love story. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, Julie, what's next? All right. Um, should we talk about it? We should probably talk about it a little bit, yeah. I have a lot of pop culture references that came to mind. <laughs> you do? I don't think I actually have that many. I had the Mean Girls one, but... The Mean Girls one is obvious. So, again, I was reminded a lot of Zodiac Academy when I was reading this. Oh, my this. God. Mainly in the last book. This is spoiler... I am separating you from this series. <laughs> Personally. Okay. First of all, this is directly relevant. I swear. I promise. Spoiler alert for anyone that has not read Zodiac Academy 7, Heartless Sky. Do not listen to this part. But um, the Shadow Princess turns Darcy, who's one of our protagonists, into a shadow beast. And it is this, like, giant shadow bear thing that is super huge and just kills a bunch of people and hungers for flesh and blood. Um, and she can't control herself, but it's, like, still technically her, and it's a curse that the Shadow Princess places on her, and no one can figure out how to break it, which is, like, Serpent Cardin. 
like, I'm sorry, I had the exact same thought as soon as he was turned into a serpent, and everyone's like, he's gonna be like that or die. And Jude's like, no. Um, so yeah, very much reminded of that, but I had other thoughts. Uh, first off, her foreword in the book was to Lee Bardugo, and it had a little snake underneath it, which I get, like, ties to Cardin and, like, the snake on the cover, but it also ties to Ninth House, because there's a serpent on the cover of Ninth House. So I just, I love that all, all of it. Like, love that for them, that they're friends. Love that their books both have serpents in them and the connection. There. Like, just all very cute and, and sweet. Um, I could probably do a whole separate podcast episode on the Chapter 5 Dream Sequence. So if you ever want to record that, <laughs> let me know. Or if any of the listeners want to hear us record that. Let us know. Cause You've I, been talking about that for two weeks. <laughs> I'm obsessed with it. There's so much to psychoanalyze. It's so interesting. But I won't spend this whole podcast talking <laughs> about it. It's just like the things Valerian says to her, the things Cardin says to her. Oh, there's so much to analyze there. Um, most of my comments as I was like going through this book... I was literally just saying, wearing those earrings to see Cardin is a horrible idea. But okay, sure, Jude, because she doesn't realize that Cardin will always recognize her. Especially with the earrings. Because <laughs> the only reason he believed Taryn was Jude is because Taryn was wearing the earrings that made her more beautiful. Like, he knows it's Jude. <laughs> Cardin in this book became such a fucking simp. The whole book. I think he always has been, but it, like, jumped out in this book. (laughs) Well, less so in The Cruel Prince, because at least he was cruel. Like, he had some flaws in The Cruel Prince this entire book. He's just, like, begging at her heels. He's like, pay attention to me. Well, you don't know what you got till it's gone, and he exiled her. Jude killed me a couple of times in this book with how she, like, thought she was, like, Maddox, and she's like, oh, I'm probably just as, like, cold as he is, and I was like, no, you're capable of love, just, like, try, maybe, like, just try a little bit. Don't try to seize power from the people that you're in love with, like, maybe. (laughs) Just be a little less aggressive. (laughs) Just a little bit, and then Gordon is just, like, chasing after Cardin's just chasing after her the whole book, and she just keeps stamping on his heart. <sighs> Until the end, like, when she finally realizes, she's like, oh, wait, I like him. <laughs> it's like, finally. God, that took her three books. Um, there was a moment, like, I think somewhere in the middle, where Cardin wanted to get all the descriptions of the mortal world from Taryn and was, like, asking her all <laughs> It was very sweet, very cute. Um, my One of my favorite lines when Cardin was talking to the court, he was like, To you all, I offer honey wine and the hospitality of my table, but to traitors and oathbreakers, I offer my queen's hospitality instead, the hospitality of knives. And I was like, yeah, that checks out. Cardin's going to give the good people alcohol, and then he's going to sick his wife on the back. <laughs> um, I, then there, 
I'm sorry, but Vivi goes to the library to look for information on cursed snakes. What's that? Uh, a, yeah. What's that a reference to? <laughs> HP, maybe? Just a little bit. It was, like, so direct. I'm sorry, but... Uh, and then the hair thing with, like, the hair, where she, like, grabs a couple pieces of Maddox's hair to, like, bind him to the bridle, and it's all about, like, the hair binding to the bridle. Felt very Polyjuice Potion vibes. Uh, and then I, just Cardin freeing mortals from Balakin? <laughs> we so- find out so much character development in this. <laughs> Puff. Like, we've been calling him a Hufflepuff, but it's just so... It's real. It's so confirmed. I can't. And then, uh, last thing I will say, I loved all of those punishments. Jude did an amazing job coming up with, like, witty and fun punishments. <laughs> those are my comments. Sorry. I love it. I love that you connect everything to everything else. <laughs> Normally, it can be more challenging, but for some, there were some glaring moments in this where it was, like, so clearly tied to other things. <laughs> uh, do you want to talk a little bit about your favorite chapter? Or are we not there? Oh. oh. You don't have to ask oh, me twice. Hold on. I'm flipping. <laughs> chapter <all> five. <laughs> The aggressive flipping noises. <laughs> I can't. Okay, so, I mean, first off, we get Valerian's, like, finished curse in here. Um, And I would just really like to point out that none of Valerian's curse came true. So he's really shit at cursing people. But true. I really loved the fact that that kind of has been sitting on Jude's conscience. That, like, this came back and it... She filled it in, and even though she, like, made light of it, like, she clearly has this fear that she's not important, that no one loves her, that no one's going to want her, and that she's just going to cause everyone else's problems. And that insecurity, like, has been sitting on her the last two books, and it sits on her in this book, too, until she finally realizes that, like, wait, Cardin actually loves me and is not going to exile or divorce me and I'm just kind of a dumbass for having these insecurities. Um, So I love that that Valerian piece kind of like gets itself resolved. Um, I'm my favorite part probably of this entire chapter was the part where Locke was like, do you remember I kissed her while you were watching? And Cardin's like, yeah, but she was watching me the entire time bitch like uh, even even Jude's subconscious knows that she was only with Locke to kind of get closer to Cardin she never actually cared about Locke and I'm glad that like her subconscious iteration of Cardin is like reinforcing that for her that like she recognizes that she didn't actually care about Locke and like that part gets pushed out really quickly um, even though Jude in the dream is like, wait, no, I had no interest in Cardin, and then she realizes she's lying to herself. The mortal part felt 
really interesting because it's like so specific when they just like dive into all of the things that are going to fade or struggle in her body like as she ages and he doesn't ever quite say and I'm going to love you still which plays on Jude's insecurities that like she's going to die alone and no one's going to love her when she dies when in reality Cardin's probably gonna be more Edward Cullen-y where he's like I'll love you with all of your wrinkles please don't turn immortal <laughs> but I was getting like this whole dream sequence where Cardin was like describing how she was gonna age felt so Bella Swan having that dream in New Moon where she was her grandma and Edward was standing next to her. But then I think the most interesting part is the fact that she just like falls and they reference Alice in Wonderland again because it's the only thing they know how to reference in this entire book series. But she like falls and falls and falls and then she's all of a sudden in a coffin at her own funeral. Like, I'm sorry. What? <laughs> and then they all just say shitty stuff about them. and Or about her. And it's, like, so rough. But you're probably the only one that's going to understand this. Taryn, or Taryn's line. Taryn. <laughs> Pronunciation gets rough. I'm sorry. Taryn's line where she says they were only ever going to let one of us survive. It was always going to be me. You're the sister who spits out toads and snakes. I'm the sister who spits out rubies and diamonds. <laughs> Do you know what fairy tale that reminds me of, Julia? Which one? Did I better lie in Oh my god. <laughs> no, no, I'm talking about... Yes, I do, because you've talked about it so much. It's my favorite fairy tale. <laughs> oh. okay. But you're going to have to explain it, because I'm the only one who's going to know. Okay, so there's this old German fairy tale from the Grimm's Brothers, and this there's a girl and her stepsister, her stepmother's evil, blah, 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 Cinderella, all that crap. And the stepmother sends the pretty girl like, the innocent blonde girl out into the woods um, in a paper dress to search for strawberries in the middle of winter, and she happens across a house of dwarves, and she offers to share her very stale bread with them, because that's all that she has to, like, sustain herself through the day. And because she's so sweet and offers to share, they um, bestow her with magic gifts so every time she speaks gold coins pour from her mouth and she has all these other like magical things a prince is going to fall in love with her blah 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 so they realize that she has all these magic powers now and so the stepmom is like well i'm going to send my daughter out to get these same magic powers because she can't be like less accomplished than the stepsister so she sends the stepsister out into the woods and the stepsister comes with a full meal like warm cloak all of this stuff she happens across the three dwarves, and the stepsister does not offer to share and basically tells them to fuck off, and so they curse her, and she literally has to spit toads from her mouth. So one spits gold coins, and the other spits toads. And it's a fairy tale, and these are fairies, so I rest my case. <laughs> I don't know what my case is, but... Um, she took inspiration. 
She doesn't believe that Cardin loves her, which is why she thinks he's lying when he says, I love you. And it just is so sad. It's such a, like, unhealthy relationship because they both really do care about each other. But they just, like, can't get to this, like, meet each other halfway, you know? No, 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 no. Jude can't get there. Cardin's willing to give up well, literally anything. also, I mean, yeah, but he also, like, in the past has given her reason to doubt him. Yes, so. 100%. And he recognizes that. But, like, yeah. she's like, I can't trust anything that you do. And he's like, I literally made it so easy for you. I was just trying to protect you. Come back to me. I love you. And she's just like, everything you've ever done to me is a lie ever. And he's like, I fucking married you. Was that not enough? God damn it. Like, Cruel Prince Cardin, I completely agree that everything that he did, like, is questionable. And she spent a lot of time in The Wicked King coming to terms with that. But she came to terms with that. And then she went all the way back to the beginning with the exile that she could have just fixed herself. And again, most of it is her insecurities. Like, I think a lot of Jude's insecurities, which are valid, are what's bringing a lot of toxicity to this relationship, but all of her relationships. Her relationships with her sisters, her relationships with her family, her relationships with Elfame. She's just really insecure, and she needs a lot of validation to feel okay in the decisions that she makes. Because she is a teenager. They are teenagers. And she has angst. <laughs> oh, very unnecessary angst so everywhere. Unnecessary. Oh my god. This is like well, the poster child for our podcast. <laughs> seriously. It didn't feel like that in The Wicked King, but damn, it felt like it here. Yep. What did what were your general thoughts about the book and your favorite chapter, Julia? Tell me. Well, it's been interesting reading it back because I don't know, like, it's my favorite book because I think there's a lot of action and you really get to, like, the kind of resolution of it kind of satisfied me in a way that I feel like is really hard sometimes with the way series. Mm-hmm. It's really difficult to come up with a good solution that makes everyone happy and is also realistic to the plot. Um, I will say the whole serpent thing at the end still, like, I was, like, maybe reading it a second time it'll be different but it's still kind of like it just kind of comes at you you're <laughs> like you're that's the last thing that you're expecting yeah like it's a is it a good ending sure is it great for the screen yeah but like why why are we doing a serpent <laughs> are we in the chamber of secrets all of a sudden <laughs> yes like that's the image i had in my mind was that that serpent from the movie same um but then he, like, walks out of the serpent's body naked, like, the day he was born. And I just, like, I couldn't take it seriously. It's, I don't know well, why. I agree. I think it felt too easy. Like, I mean, I get it's yeah. YA, but a lot of YA has given us challenge and sadness and despair in a way that we need, and bittersweet, you know, something that we need to look through. And I think... Wicked King was my favorite still. I was hoping it was going to be Queen of Nothing, and there are a lot of things I love about the Queen of Nothing, but 
the way it wrapped up was too clean and too easy that just didn't feel <laughs> like a correct resolution to the story. Like, I needed more grit. I needed more punishment. I needed more, ugh, you know, for it to feel, yeah. like, fully resolved. And, like, he was a serpent. Oh, he poisoned a couple of trees, and then you fixed him. Like, boo-hoo. Like, the stakes never fully materialized, I feel like. Anyway, <laughs> what was your favorite chapter? So my favorite chapter was 23 because, um, let me open this up again. It's the chapter after Cardin gets um, turned into the snake, mm-hmm. <laughs> which we've talked about. Um, and it's like where kind of she sort of comes into her own self. She really takes charge. She is, she realizes she has to be queen um, and she has to actually get shit done um, in order to lead. And she's kind of going through a crisis at the beginning. She has that sort of panic attack and Grima Mog is there, which I want to talk about Grima Mog. I love her. She's one of my favorite characters in the story because she present- she's presented as a villain at the very beginning of the third book. Yeah. And I remember in my first time reading it how much I disliked her. Like I was like, I'm so excited because clearly Judah's going to kill her or do something to get rid of her. But I should have known the fact that she was taking so much time with her that Grimmog was not going to just go away. <laughs> um, and she ends up being one of my favorite characters. And I just remember when I was reading it, like then and now, how great it is when she comes up with Taryn and they're helping with the stitches, like they're helping get rid of Maddox, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, yes. I love Grimma Mock. <laughs> like, how did you strike this deal? <laughs> um, and then there's just like in chapter 23 where she is just kind of panicking and she's trying to figure everything out. And she's just like, Grimma, you are my general now. Congratulations. And Grimma's like, okay, great. Let's get to work. Like, not once is there a moment where I was doubtful that Grimma Mock was going to be a good leader like she proves herself to be a great leader it's one of those things where i'm like you really don't know somebody's true character until you see them in action mm-hmm. um because all we knew about grima mog at the start was that you know obviously justifiably she was not great because she was eating people but then she has this little redemption arc which i really appreciate so they gave well, her a she's chance. still eating people yes but it's okay <laughs> It's a fantasy book. She's very charismatic, just like Hannibal Lecter is. Yes. She's not as, like, terrifying as Maddox is for a red cap. Um, no, I think there's... she's just as terrifying, but because she's on our side, it doesn't feel it's a like less it. terrifying. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like she, that's the thing with her, is, like, I feel like she has a bit of a moral compass, as much as somebody who eats other people can have. Like, she recognizes that she can help Jude and she can help mm-hmm. Taryn and be on the winning side versus Maddox, who's just, like, that's the part that, that annoys me in the book. It's, like, Maddox feels very unlike himself. Like, he's always been very good at kind of understanding where he stands on everything and kind yeah. of approaching things very rationally. And I just don't feel like at any point did he have a position which he could rationally say, had the upper hand. (laughs) I hated Maddox in this book. Yeah, his character really falls apart. It really does. Like, once it's held under the fire, it just kind of disintegrates. 
Yes, it absolutely does. I'm so sorry for you, because I know how much you were a supporter of Maddox for a very long time. <laughs> I just, he was such an interesting character, and I thought he'd imparted so many good lessons on the girls as their dad. You know, like, so much of who Jude is is due to Maddox. So much of her strength and her resiliency is due to Maddox. <laughs> but yeah, he fell apart in this book, I'm not gonna lie. And then there's this great quote. I tried to kill you. She, Grandma reminds me. You've described pretty much every important relationship in my life, I return. I like you fine. <laughs> I can't with her. Judith's so dramatic. She is the number one drama queen. <laughs> I don't know why I like spit at that. I was like, oh my god, that's so god. Okay, Jude. <laughs> Secondhand embarrassment here. It's not wrong though. Like, who hasn't tried to kill her? Well, Vivi hasn't tried to kill her. Oriana hasn't tried to kill her. Oak hasn't tried to kill her. Oak <laughs> and Vivi, I agree with. It. Oriana has supported Maddox's attempts to kill her. Taryn has tried yeah. to kill her. Maddox has tried to kill her. <laughs> Cardin has hasn't. tried to kill her. Yes, he has. With really the drowning. Win. Oh. But he wasn't going to kill her, no, as he said. But he also let Valerian run Belief. free. Oh, uh, that too. Yeah, and Valerian tried to kill her in the tower, and Cardin was, like, <laughs> there, and Valerian's like, jump! <sighs> Poor Jude. <laughs> anyway, also in this chapter, we get her conversation with the bomb, and then she gets to have a conversation with Terran, and, like... She just goes through all of these very, like, diplomatic things, like, the whole Terran situation. She gives Terran a purpose, which I feel mm-hmm. like is so good. She didn't need to give Terran anything. Like, she owes Terran absolutely nothing, um, despite what happened with Locke. Like, you can still say, like, okay, like, we're now we're on even ground because you had this situation with Locke that was terrible, even though you tried to kill me, where we are now equal. Yeah. But instead, she kind of forgives her by giving her this purpose. Um, then we also get fanned. Great. Sweet. I'm just going through the chapter. Like, who else did she talk to in this one singular chapter? Talked to a lot of people. She she talked with the council and, like, made them, you know, see her as a queen. Yeah. I just think it's such a good development chapter because we really get to see her be the queen. She she did a great job when Cardin was Snake Man and she had to, like, Snake Man. I was really proud of her. Snack man. <laughs> and then I wanted to talk more about the, which we kind of already talked about, but um, when she's coming back into the palace and is basically dying and bleeding on the floor, and everyone's like, oh, we need to arrest her, blah, blah, blah. And Karin's like, oh, she's horrible, but yeah, don't touch her. <laughs> she's married to me, so she's the queen. <laughs> I love that moment so much. <laughs> There's just something about it. It was so melodramatic. And then he's like, yeah, but don't touch her. <laughs> he's like, I'm bored by all of this, guys. Leave her alone. I love yeah. her. It's fine. Man. Oh, Cardin. Oh, and then, okay. One of the things that does annoy me in this book is when Taryn just happens to know the ghost's name. 
there's something about it where she's because like she says like oh Locke just you know he was careless with with me because obviously like he thought that she was a human she wasn't on his level she wouldn't care blah 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 but like in what situation is he gonna be like Julia, blah 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 is my special servant who I can have do anything. I don't think that's what she meant. I think he was careless around like how often he used it. So she overheard him using mm. the true name at some point in time for the ghost. So it's, in my mind, that's not how it was. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it was like a hey, babe. <laughs> Let me tell you, you want to, he gets drunk and he's like, what a secret, what a secret. (laughs) Like, that's not what I think happened. I think she just was very good about, like, trying to keep tabs on what he was doing around the estate and overheard it. And Locke, because he thinks he's above everything, does not envision a lot of people eavesdropping on him. And so just kind of was, like, going about his day, giving orders and not thinking to, like, check the room ahead of time. Hmm. And we have to remember, Taryn, also raised by Matic, sister of Jude. If she wants to do a little spying, she'd probably be fine at it. Yeah, true. I will give her that much. I guess, like, in my mind, I was like, she's not capable of it. <laughs> but then she did kill him, so. She, she's she, capable of many things. She proved herself a lot in this book. I'm real proud of Taryn yeah. in this book. She re- she had a much better redemption arc than Draco Malfoy. Yeah. <laughs> Draco really didn't have any redemption arc, but... He helped Harry kind of at the end. Yeah. I don't know. Um, he birthed a good son. That's, that's it. There we go. Thank God for Scorpius. Oh, yes. Um... Oh, what else did I have to say? Um, I don't know. I should have written it down. This is so stupid of me. Uh, oh, for some reason in my mind, I thought the Nikesha, I think because I just liked it so much. The Nikesha-Jude partnership, for some reason in my mind, was like way earlier. Like, I don't remember it being in the last like two chapters. And it makes me so mad now because I'm like, hold on. Like, this was such a powerful friendship. And we only get it for literally like a couple lines. <laughs> well, and then we get the moment in The Wicked King where she like warns Jude. Yeah. In Hollow Hall. But yeah. But I wish it was there was more to it, because I feel like they would be such a cool, like, power alliance, you know? Like, two very strong women ruling their kingdoms. We just need to read fan fiction. <sighs> I know. I'm going to go go look up some <laughs> Jude fan fiction now. <laughs> uh, I would not be surprised if Jude and Cardin, like, occasionally invited Nikasia into their bed. And did, like, a polyamorous <laughs> Oh, my God, okay. <laughs> Fairy's um, weird, Julia. That is true. That is very true. Um, and I was, okay. So, on a lot of these, like, fan castings, um, mm. I don't remember his name right now. But he's a British actor. And he's in the new Gossip Girl reboot. And I was actually literally watching the new Gossip Girl, recently. Mm-hmm. Everyone will know what I'm talking about. It's um, the Chuck lookalike. 
he gets Van Castle a lot as Carton. I don't see it, but I can understand it. And his character actually has a lot of threesomes. So, you know, maybe it's not. <laughs> Thomas not Doherty. There. Yes, that's him. He's very easy on the eyes. Yeah. But he's not a Cardin. He doesn't have no. black, dark, curly hair. He has no. no he has no tail. Which, by the way, <sighs> segue into my other point. The part where they are making out. Every and he time I read that. I like. I had to put the book down. I was like, not this again. <laughs> That's so much worse than... It's my one biggest pet peeve. It's, it's so like, much worse than a cord of silver. She didn't have to add stuff. that in. She didn't no. have to put it in. There was no relevancy to it. Mm-mm. It's YA. Like, can you not? If you're if you're writing stuff for furries, leave it in adult fiction. I can't. I Oh, it ruins everything. Like, it's such a good scene. I mean, besides the fact that they're, like, having sex while not fully trusting each other, that's a whole other problem. But, like, the intimacy is described very well. But then you have this tale. Listen, I think what we have to focus on is if Jude's into it, she's a consenting human. But Jude's used to it. Like, there are so many weird folk around fairy that right but that's we're not having sex with Cardin Judas I know but we have to read it I don't want to read (laughs) you can read it and be happy for Jude but also not be into it at the same time that's the long line that I've drawn like I am not into it but like good for her have fun girly live your best life if you think that's it (laughs) that's all I had I'll leave it there. So, Julia, do you want to compare how well I did? I do. I'm very excited. I do not remember these at all. (laughs) How should we do this? I just want you to go through them. Okay. Come on. All right. How how terribly did you do? Okay, so first prediction. Cardin, by banishing her, was doing a thing trying to keep her safe and doesn't actually want her gone, and it's going to take Jude a while to come around to that idea, but she obviously will because she did the same thing to him by making him king. I would say this is about 75% correct. Yeah, I would agree. Now, Jude does come around to it, but only because she's hit over the head with (laughs) the facts of hers and circumstances. But Cardin was just trying to keep her safe and did not actually want her gone, so... That was correct. <laughs> um, the red ring he used in the wedding is going to come back. He spelled it somehow so they can use it to communicate while she is in the Forno realm. So again, the first part is true. She gives it to Oak for safekeeping. Like, it is mentioned in the book, but it is not used in any worthwhile way. Which, if Cardin would have spelled it, it would have made his life a whole hell of a lot easier of trying to communicate with her. So clearly, I have better ideas than Cardin does. True. Uh, okay, the next one. <laughs> this is so far off. Maddock and Locke are the big bads in the book. Uh, Locke wants to hurt Jude further, so he agrees to help Maddock with something 
both so he can go after Jude and also so he can make Taryn happy. So wrong. Other than the to fact that Maddox happy. Maddox is a bit big bad in the book. So you but, have like twenty five percent of it. Yeah, but the rest of that's so far off. Yeah. So we don't get off. any lock in this book actually. No, he's very dead, thank God. Um, okay, the next one, Maddox is going to try and create war against Cardin, and that's why Cardin didn't want Jude and Fairy, so she cannot get hurt. That mostly checks out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Except Cardin wants her to fight, so that part's a little off, but it's, it mostly checks out, so I'm, I'm good with that one. Um... Not, I wasn't fully sure that Royven's deal has been called in since he didn't call it in himself. Dulcimara did. So I thought maybe that his deal might come back into play somehow if they need Royven to rally against Matic. Now, it had nothing to do with the deal, but Royven did rally against Matic. So you're sort of there. And they did mention the deal again. So, like, I say 50% on that okay, one. That's fair. Um, this next one is so off. Oh, God. Oak will be crowned king. This is why the book is called The Queen of Nothing. Because Jude and Cardin will be married still, but they won't have a kingdom. Nope. Not even close. It was just Queen of Nothing because Jude was letting herself be the Queen of Nothing for, like, the first half of the book. It was self-imposed nothingness. Like, that's all in Self-imposed exile. Yeah. Seriously. Uh, And then I also said that this will hurt Jude because she likes the power (laughs) trip. Um, But she will be fully self-actualized when she realizes supporting her brother is enough. I do think she did achieve more self-actualization by the end of the book. Yes, she did. But she definitely is supporting her brother. But not in that context, Yeah. That would have been great, though. <laughs> uh, I was praying that Maddox comes around and just is the happy dad there to help Oak and doesn't try to manipulate him. I'm I, so sorry. He didn't try to manipulate him. True. But he was not the happy dad. No. It, he, he was really, the murderous dad. He had no thoughts about Oak at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think I knew that one was a long shot when I made it, though, so it's fine. Uh, Cardin's mom still has a role to play. I think she's going to betray Cardin somehow. 100% she burned the letters. <laughs> we do not like Lady Asha here. No, she's a terrible Asha. person. Horrible. Um, the roach and the bomb are going to admit their feelings for one another, but then one of them will die. I was really close here. One yes. of them almost died. And they did admit their feelings for each other, so... But we got the better end of it because no one died, so... I know, but I was just predicting that we were going to have more, like, hurtful YA, like Harry Potter or Ember in the Ashes. I didn't expect that everyone would live. The the book where everyone lives. (laughs) That's just not the vibe that the first two books were giving me. (laughs) The only person that died was Locke. Like, that's not even tragic. And died, but we don't care about him. Who gives a shit? I know. Oh, God. Okay. Well, their so, parents died. 
To well, the Gala yeah. deaths, like, a while ago. <laughs> but, like, that's not impactful. Yeah. It was the prologue. Like, who cares? I mean, it was impactful, but, yeah. To them, not to us. I know. <laughs> okay. So, I would say 75% on that one. The Roach and the Bomb one. Um, this one, I thought I did pretty good. The ghost is going to triple cross and come back on their side, but the Bomb and the Roach are going to make him miserable. I think that one pretty much checks out. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Uh, Nikasia is going to try and convince Cardin to marry her and do something reckless when she realizes he cannot marry her because he's married to Jude already. That did not happen at all, so that one was very far-flung. Nikasia was super chill in this book. We got a good Nikasia this book. We did. We did. Um, Taryn is going to switch sides back to Jude at the last minute. It wasn't at the last minute. It was kind of at the beginning. It was at the very start. So I'm going to give myself 75% on that one. But, like, I at least called it. Taryn did switch sides back to Jude. Yeah. Um, And this was a really random one. And I I thought it was probably wrong. But I said, since the book is going to mean some bittersweet, Heather is not going to want to get back with Vivi, forcing Vivi to deal with her selfishness and her misunderstanding of humans and work on becoming more empathetic. I feel like I wanted more character depth than this book is capable of providing me. Well, if you think about it, we did get a lot of Vivi and Heather in the last book, and then this book we did not get anything. Mm -mm. I think we did still get that bittersweetness element, so I'm going to give myself 25% on this, where, like, Heather realized she actually want Vivi, but then they made the deal that Vivi had to erase her memories either way, and then they had to kind of work back to get it on their own terms, and Vivi has to go Mm -hmm. on her hero's journey of, like, truly realizing how to be truthful in a relationship. So I think pieces of this kind of manifested, but not quite in the way I had predicted. Um, And then... Uh, this last one is my favorite. I predicted that we would see Roybin's Consort K for something, but I don't know what. And it was for punching Nikasia. Yes. Loved it. Loved every second of that. Loved it so much. Okay. Julie, I know we talked a little bit about why this is your favorite book of the series, but do you have anything else you want to add? Mm, not too much. Um, I'm just proud of Jude, honestly. She grows up so fast in this book. <laughs> she does. She becomes a queen. And I just like, oh my god. Okay, the ending of the book where everyone goes into the human world. I want to see more of Maddox in the human world. Like, I don't, I am yes. with Vivi. I want to see him struggling. <laughs> Another <Yes>. spinoff. Because <laughs> I feel like Oriana would kind I feel like she would do well. I think she could adapt pretty quickly. She's a very yeah. smart woman. Mm-hmm. But Maddox, absolutely not. And, like, not being able to use a weapon? Oh, my God. He's going to have so much trouble. He can't just cut the heads off of mortals whenever he feels like it. It's amazing. I would love a spinoff like that. Or, like, some short stories. That would be really cute. I feel like we're going to need to read a lot of fan fiction. Yes. I love some fan fiction of Carden in the human world going to 7-Eleven and getting a slushie. Oh, my God. People listening, please send us... Cruel Prince fanfics. I want him trying every slushy flavor at 7-Eleven. That's my dream. (laughs) I want him getting Chinese takeout. (laughs) 
Although I don't know if he would enjoy any of that, but still, I, the idea of it's Ooh. fun. You know what I imagine Cardin doing? Using those like big Coke machines that have all of the different flavors <laughs> and mixing them all. <laughs> He's going to be that menace at, like, the movie theaters and stuff. That's just going insane. And then he's going to want a crazy sugar high from all He's going to be a kid all over again. But they Jude, 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 Jude. I love you so much, Jude. Oh, my God. This is amazing. This movie is amazing. Can you imagine what we're watching right now? Oh, my God. I want this so badly. We don't need a movie adaptation of the first three books. We just need a TV show of this. <laughs> A hundred percent. Of all of the fairies coming and interacting. Someone, someone should do, like, a TikTok mini-series where they do that. That'd be funny. That'd be I really think that'd be funny. so funny. If I were good at animation, I would totally do that on TikTok. BookTok would love that. BookTok would love that. BookTok loves the crow prints. I'm not on it, but I would assume that. <laughs> I get a lot of, um, a core of thorns and roses on my BookTok stuff. I know. I've never read it. I'm like, I've never shown interest in it, but for some reason, it's all over my TikTok page. Are most of them white? Yes. Yeah. Um, white girls on BookTok love to talk about Akatar. Um, if you have, if you carefully curate your BookTok, like I have, I've spent a lot of time working on this. It gets filtered out eventually, okay. but it takes a lot of time. I would say Book Talk is like 70% Akatar, Throne of Glass, and From Blood and Ash, and then 30% actually good books. Okay, because all I see is that, and all I like are cat videos and cooking videos, so I don't even know. It must be because like, I follow you and stuff for Book Talk, so maybe I just get like the surface level stuff. Fair. I if you're interested, let me know. I can send you some really good book talkers for very specific. Gotta curate my page. <laughs> nuanced recommendations. Just tell me what you want to get recommendations on, and I can like flip around between romance, literary fiction, ra- fantasy, random, like whatever you want. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but that's all I have. Okay, I put in here that we should do predictions. For how the King of Elfheim learned to hate stories, but looking at time, I don't think we should do that. Yeah, I also don't have any predictions for that. Yeah, I don't think there's much to say. So I think we should just get to the sorting. Yes, that sounds good. Um, okay. Jude. Um. I think she's a Gryffindor. I'm sticking with Gryffindor as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I can't justify, I was, like, trying to think, like, has she changed enough that I could, like, put her in, like, Slytherin, maybe, or, like, Ravenclaw, but she's a dumbass, and she's not <laughs> She's never coming enough. to my house, no. No. <laughs> and, like, Slytherin, I think the thing is, she's always had this ambition. She's always been very cuspy, right, between Gryffindor mm-hmm. and Slytherin, but I think she, eventually, her moral compass and, like, her drive to help those that she loves wins out over her ambition where it doesn't do that for other characters so i think that's yeah gryffindor just makes most sense of her mainly because she's not as like lovey-dovey and like caring about fairness as hufflepuff would be and she's too much of a dumbass to be a ravenclaw so yeah easy peasy um (laughs) carden our favorite hufflepuff hufflepuff king we love him He's such a puff. I he like is such a good Hufflepuff. And uh, you know, we always thought this. 
but boy was it reinforced in this book in so many yeah. ways. He's the simp. Such a simp. The saving of the mortals, the, like, every time he was trying to, like, throw a party or do anything, he was like, come, hang out with me, let's have fun. If you're gonna be mean... I'm going to send you to my wife because I do have to be fair. But, like, I would like to keep this party a good time. One hundred percent. So easy. Taryn. I don't know. I feel like she's still slithering to me. Still, you sorted her helpful thoughts last time. Oh, did I? Okay, well, I'm putting her in Slytherin then. Because I just feel like she's, like, the sort of Slytherin that flips back and forth to me. Where she can't, I think towards the end of the book, we, we she kind of figures herself out. But she just, like, never quite, she's mostly focused on herself and her ambitions. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not till this book that she realizes she needs support. I struggle with ambitions, though. I don't actually know that she has... Especially in this book. I I don't know that she has has ambitions. I think, like, if she had ambitions, she would have thought about those ambitions a little bit. And been, like, made a plan. Even a bad plan. But, like, a plan. But instead, everything that she does is with passion and with, like, fear. And she just has all these feelings that are, like, bubbling out into everything that she's doing. She kills Locke because he just annoys her for the last time right like she's not planning it it's accidental it's messy it's gross and then she panics and she's like help me I don't know what to do like I don't know how to get myself out of this situation please someone help me and so she begs her sister to pretend to be her to her husband like not even thinking about the consequences of her actions and I feel like a Slytherin has enough cunning to like you know just go two steps ahead of, like, where you're currently standing and Taryn doesn't have that. Um, so I'm going to stick with Hufflepuff because especially, like, later in the chapter, like, she's making decisions, but the decisions are to protect her sister, protect her family, protect her baby, not necessarily because she wants to gain more power. Mm, okay. At least that's my read on the, on the situation. Vivi. Still a Hufflepuff. Just because I feel like everything that she does is focused around her and her sisters. And then her connection with Heather. Yeah. I agree with that, that she's very relationship focused. I think I'm going to say she's more of a Gryffindor in this book. Because I think she really steps up. Like, she steps up and, like, owns that things are wrong and, like, wants to figure out how to fix them, take that next step. Well, even though she wants to try to keep Jude safe and, like, tries to counsel her to make better decisions, when she doesn't, Vivi will, like, full force, like, go after her and, like, abandon everything to take care of her sister, putting Oak into harm's way, putting their whole family into harm's way, like, returning to fairy, which is something she absolutely never wanted to do. And I think that's really brave of her, especially bringing Heather to fairy with them. Um, 
you know, realizing that, like, that could destroy her relationship given Heather had such a negative reaction last time. So, I think she exhibits a lot more bravery and less sort of, like, fiddle-farting around is not the right word, but less sort of just, like, jumping from one foot to the other, like she did in, in the last book. She showed a lot more bravery and a lot more readiness to sort of be the hero, which is why I think... Heather trusted for her to go on that sort of, like, hero's journey at the end because she'd grown into her Gryffindor self. Okay. I like that. Mm-hmm. Matic <laughs> is still Slytherin. Yes. There is no denying that. We don't he even need the, to talk about it. the worst of Slytherin. He depressed me, this book. I don't really need to talk about it much more. Oriana... We really don't get a lot of Oriana in this one. We don't. We get her discovering that she is, or knowing that she is not Taryn, and we get her at the end going with Matic. I still think that he's, he's, she is Raven. Is that why I said Ravenclaw? You said Ravenclaw last time. And now knowing all of this about her, like her figuring out the stuff about Jude, her giving Jude all of the gossip and information about Lady Asha and, like, her better understanding of the court politics and, like, sort of, like, how to play the game and that being laid out and explained, I think, a little bit more in this book than it was in last books lends me to agree with you that she's a Ravenclaw. Like, she's really trying to figure out the logistics of this chess game. And that's all she cares about. I think that's all that interests her. She doesn't actually care about the outcomes or the consequences in the way that a Slytherin or a Gryffindor would. She's just really interested in the game itself. And also protecting Oak, but... She's only going to protect Oak in the confines of the game. So, yeah, I, I agree with Ravenclaw. Oak... takes after his relation to Carton, Hufflepuff. Yeah. He is so sweet and so innocent. He loves his family. He just wants to be with Oriana. The, the part where he runs to Oriana when the serpent is there, oh my god, the poor child. I felt so bad for him. He just He's like, I'll stay family. in the mortal world, hang out with yeah. my family. Yeah. He's a little Hufflepuff. He's He's getting braver and braver yeah. and, like, willing to do more things and, like, showcase himself more and be more upfront. But the fact that he doesn't want the limelight, he doesn't want to be High King, he doesn't want to really be in that world is what lends me to agree that, like, yeah, he's definitely a Hufflepuff rather than a Gryffindor. Because even though he's exhibiting more bravery, he still wants to be kind of in the background. He does not want to be the center of attention. Okay, Acacia. Slytherin. Still. Like, we get the alliance at the end, but I still think that everything that she does is for the betterment of her kingdom. And the kingdom is her family. Um, Yeah. So, even though, like, there's a moment where she seems okay, (laughs) and I'm very happy that they are now partners in crime. (laughs) Not literally. Um... I think that she's still very, very sneaky. Um, well, and she wasn't going to help Jude unless Orlog got cured. Exactly. So she had her mother in mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that familial loyalty, 
the Squirm. I'm not going to act unless I know it's going to work vibe. Still very much Slytherin. Grimson. Slytherin. Yep, 100%. Still <laughs> Slytherin. I was like, could he be no. Ravenclaw just because he is very, very smart, but I think I think he's like kind of a Slytherin Ravenclaw. Like the Slytherin is more dominant, but the Raven there are Ravenclaw aspects to him. Yes, but the Ravenclaws would just make the things. The Slytherins at the curses. Mm, yeah. <laughs> like oh, it would be totally Slytherin. fine if he was like, I'm gonna make all these beautiful things. Love me for making all of these beautiful things. Like, then I could still see him being, like, having some Slytherin tendencies with the ambition, but then being mostly a Ravenclaw because he's just, like, so invested in his craft. But then, like, that having that extra little bit of, like, cunning and, like, trickiness where he's like, <laughs> I'm going to curse people and see if they figure it out just because I can and because it makes me more renowned and like more powerful and then they'll have to come to me to figure out how to undo the curse and then I'll get even more business that's very Slytherin I'm sorry the roach um we didn't get much of him in this book because he was knocked out for most of it I still think he's a Ravenclaw. Yeah, I'll go with Ravenclaw, too. We didn't really, yeah. It's so hard to base him off of anything, but just I know, based on but past stuff. He doesn't really take anything for himself. He just is a big planner, always trying to make sure everyone's, like, safe and taken care of going into a thing. Like, yeah, he got hit with the darts, but, like, he was the one helping to coordinate and make sure that everyone knew what they needed to do. He's the one that told Cardin not to wake Jude up by touching her. Mm-hmm. Cardin didn't listen, so we got Elwood in the face, and the roach is like, I told you. <laughs> yeah. So, checks out the bomb. Uh, what did we say last time? Gryffindor. Yeah, I could see that. Still. I agree, yeah. She's just... I She'll think throw she herself some... into any situation yeah, to protect her friends. Exactly. Yeah. She doesn't care. She's like, I'm disposable. I got you. <laughs> yeah, but I got you. I'm going to make this better. She'll, like, show up to help her friends at any moment, no matter what situation it puts her in, whether it's, like, taking out stitches or, like, mm-hmm. taking down one of her friends as a potential assassin or, like, trying to save the love of her life. Like, she will just throw herself into it with all the gusto possible. So, yeah, very exactly. Gryffindor. The ghost. Oh, um. Oh, God. He's hard. I'm gonna say Ravenclaw for okay. this book particularly because he asks Taryn to hold him hostage and because he asks Jude to kill him. Mm, true. He knows the limitations of the situation that he's in, and he's trying to find the logical conclusion to it, and he does. And even though that's not the best conclusion for him, he's trying to play out the logical conclusion. Because he realizes that's the best situation overall. Um, even if it's not the preferred one. And then, yeah, when Taryn catches him, she, he asks her to lock him up. 
he wants to help them and he's trying to find all of these like little loopholes so that he can still help Jude wherever he can because he doesn't actually want to have betrayed her but he just didn't have a choice so like I think that fighting against it and like finding the loopholes is a very Ravenclaw thing to do because he's not trying to do it for himself right he's just trying to do it yeah okay I'll agree with you for that reason, because I also just can't think of what, why else he would belong to any of the other ones. Right, exactly. Heather. I'm going to put her in Gryffindor. What did we say last time? Uh, you said Hufflepuff, I said Ravenclaw. Oh, so we're, I'm, I'm really, like, sorry I went out there. But I feel like it takes a lot of cuts <laughs> to go back to fairy. After knowing what's happened. Mm-hmm. And she's also really supportive of um, Jude as well. In her she own is. way. Um, and then to strike the deal with Vivi to have her memory erased. Like, that's so scary. Like, it's kind of Hufflepuffy. But I feel like it's more bravery than just loyalty, you know? I, know. I, I will agree with Gryffindor so we're on the same page but I do think she's like a very Hermione that's a good way of putting it Gryffindor because like even after she like does this thing with Vivi and like makes this deal to lose her memories and then she spends more time in fairy and realizes she actually doesn't want to forget and she like wants to stay a part of it she figures out a solution and tells it to Vivi and has Vivi chase it down but almost makes it like a puzzle that Vivi has to be able to solve in order for them to be together and like mm. that's very Hermione-ish like there's still that bravery aspect where she's willing to like have it all removed kind of like Hermione you know taking away her parents' memories, um, but puts together a little puzzle in place for Vivi to find her way back. And so I would I would agree with Gryffindor, but with those, like, underlying Ravenclaw tendencies. That's a good way of putting it. Okay, Lady Asha is a Slytherin. Slytherin. <laughs> we don't oh need to talk about don't it. don't like her at all. Me neither. Ah, my favorite. Grima Mog. Ooh, this one's actually kind of hard. I th- I think I'll go with Slytherin. I think she's like the other side of the coin that Matic is. I'm going to say Gryffindor. Interesting. I want to hear your reasoning. Okay. Um, let me write it down first. <laughs> Hold on. So I don't forget. <laughs> So I, I, <laughs> I know. <laughs> don't watch me type. Skitherin. It's embarrassing. Sorry. <laughs> um. So I think the reason I say Gryffindor is because Matic has all these ambitions of these battles and this war and all this stuff for himself, right? He wants to climb. He wants to claim power. He wants to become more than he is. Grima Mog turns away from the court of teeth when she realizes they're breaking the vow that they were supposed to do and finding loopholes 
and trying to ally themselves with Maddox to go against Cardin. And then she allies herself with who she truly knows is the queen of the realm to support Jude and be a soldier, right? There's bravery in that. There's always bravery in being a soldier in war. There's always bravery in being a general in war. But she's not doing it to raise herself up. She was content with her life in the mortal realm. She was content with her life in the court of teeth. She's just been content with her life pretty much everywhere. But here she's trying to make herself serve a bigger purpose that has nothing to do with her, but aligns with what her current moral compass is. And I think this ties back to what you were saying earlier about her, that, like, even though she's kind of a cannibal, (laughs) she has a moral compass. And it's not just about sating her bloodlust. It's also about doing the right thing. And if doing the right thing also sates her bloodlust, she's going to be extra double happy. You know, whereas Maddox can't see past his bloodlust. He's always going to be chasing his bloodlust and finding situations to create for. Um, So because she doesn't have that, like, extra level of ambition, I see her as more of a Gryffindor. Okay, I like that. I like that we can sort her to Slytherin Gryffindor because I feel like it suits her very well. Yeah, I agree. Who, so who changed? Let me, I'm just skimming this. Taryn changed a little bit because you counted her mm-hmm. as, a, as a Slytherin. Um, Vivi changed a little bit because I counted her as a Gryffindor. Oriana, I agreed with Ravenclaw this time. It didn't. I called her Gryffindor last time, so definitely do not agree. I I liked Oriana less and less as this book series went on. Um, it didn't, I liked Matic more and more, and I liked Oriana less and less. Um, when most of these are mostly the same, except the ghost. I think the ghost and Heather are our biggest changes. So the ghost, last time we both said Slytherin, now we're saying Ravenclaw. And last time you said Heather is a Hufflepuff, I said she's a Ravenclaw. <laughs> now we're both saying she's a Gryffindor. <laughs> Which just goes to show the houses are shit. Everyone has complicated personalities. Yep. The housing system, IRL, would not work. (laughs) Not even a little bit, Divergent, terrible idea. (laughs) Uh, Unless you are divergent, because that's what most people would be. (laughs) True, that is a good point. (laughs) All right, Julia, who would you say your MVP for this book is? Grimog, which I feel like is not a huge surprise because I went no, on and on about her. But, like, ugh, getting to, like, read her kind of entrance at the beginning, knowing where she's headed rather than the last time when I did not know where she was headed and I thought that she was just going to, like, be written off at some point. Mm-hmm. She is a savior. She is a true hero of the book. The moment that she helps Jude get up in that chapter that – I was talking about chapter 23, chapter 25. Now I don't remember. I think it was 23. 23. Um, 23. She is the slight motherly character that Jude needs, where she's not a mother. She's not a motherly character at all, but she's the support and kind of like 
motivation that Jude needs in an authoritative figure that she does not have from anyone that she should have had from Maddox and did not get. And in this other red cap, she gets, um, I mean, she's in so many important parts of Jude's story in this particular book when you think about it. Like, she kind of gives her the gossip at the very beginning and kind of gets Jude thinking about things again. Then she shows up when she's battling Maddox, and then she shows up multiple times throughout the book to help her, as I mentioned, when the serpent comes out and she is having a panic attack. Grandma Mog is there to be like, yo, let's get going. Um, so, yeah, she's my MVP. Love it. How about yours? So, I feel like what you're probably expecting me to say is Cardin. But it's not. But it's not. I love it's Cardin it. in this book. Don't get me wrong. Who is I it? adore Taryn. Ooh, interesting choice. <laughs> um, the reason for that, uh, first off, if Taryn's sewing skills weren't as good as they were, Jude would be dead in a field. <laughs> true. Very true. So, Taryn being able to sew her back up and, like, shove all the earth and stuff in and sew around dirt and rocks and stuff saved Jude's life. Separately, Taryn is the plot impetus for this book actually happening because not only did she, like, finally man up and, or woman up, I'm sorry, woman up and kill her husband who's a piece of shit she's also resolved to like carry their baby on their own and become a single mom on her own out of nowhere at like what 19 maybe like amazing and she goes and is what convinces jude to come back to fairy and realize that jude's been a dumbass that would not have happened if not for Taryn. Jude would have been sitting twiddling her thumbs for another 20 years. That is very, very true. Because she was not getting those letters from Cardin. Because <laughs> she was not getting those letters from Cardin. I feel like Cardin at some point would have, like, hand-delivered one and be like, hey, hey, hey. He was getting on. desperate there at the end. <laughs> I know. His letter that's just her name 400 times. Jesus. Though he's used to writing her name out a lot, as we know from the first book. Um, <laughs> but I I also think that even when Jude became queen, like, you know, you're talking about Grandma Mog sort of, like, being there to bolster her, help her through her panic attacks, help, their, help her with um, the military strategy side of things. Taryn's there to help with the part of things that Jude struggles with, right? She gets her new wardrobe. (laughs) She makes sure that she's fulfilling the poise of a queen and making sure that she knows what she needs to do to make people believe that she is the queen. Taryn's there to support her at every step of the way. Um, And I just... So many crucial plot points of this book would not have happened or would not have succeeded if it weren't for Taryn coming back on their side and i i think this is one of the very few moments that i've actually bought into a redemption arc in a book series so i'm just i'm proud of all of taryn's growth and how much she's actually learned how much she doesn't trust maddox anymore how much she realized she was doing to hurt their family and how she course corrected i think that was huge and it made a huge impact on the book overall fair enough 
But also, I love Cardin in this book. I know. But he's like, if, so Cardin was a great character in this book, but he didn't really have any hero qualities, if you think about it. No, like, he just had power. Exactly. And he used it, as he should. Yeah. But he didn't do anything extra remarkable, I would no, say. No, he, he was just... He told, he told her that he she could come back. <laughs> that was the big thing. <laughs> he was very romantic in this book, and that's why I love romantic. him. And he also finally got her to a place to let her feel comfortable that, like, he actually loved her. That, that took true. a lot of work on his <laughs> Yes, but it's very true. A lot of patience necessary. But it's also his fault that she didn't believe that in the first place. So, like, yeah. So, yeah, I think I think Taryn's a better all-around choice, even though I loved Jude and Cardin in this book. I was, like, squealing while reading the majority of the book. <laughs> Though, again, for anyone listening to this podcast, I don't know why you're listening to the third book first, but this is not an, a spicy enemies to lovers romance. Do not read it for that. No, it's not spicy at all. It's also not really an enemies to lovers romance. It's like, it has no. elements of that, but it is a political intrigue trilogy <laughs> set in a fey world. And there for are... For YA. <laughs> For YA, there are slight romance elements that is not the cornerstone like of the one plot. scene. <laughs> yeah, I would not rely on it for that. Because that's why Book Talk gets so mad about it sometimes. Because they're like, you told me this was spicy enemies to lovers. And I'm like, who told you that? Are you listening to a 14-year-old? Because it's Also, not. I'm sorry, but back in my day, YA did not have spicy enemies to lovers. This was so <laughs> spicy for the YA that I Yeah, like, up. this is a lot. Oh my god, she was, like, stripping the tail thing. Like, no like, thank you. I remember when the last, well, the third book, I guess, in the Shatter Me series came out back in, what, like, 2013 or something? That was spicy. And that is not spicy at all. <laughs> yes, it is. I mean, but in comparison to some other things that I've read in, in comparison the YA genre, to adult romance, it's not. But even but the like, YA genre, I okay, fair. But like nowadays, there, there are still adults quoting "Shatter Me" as like romance epitome on Book Talk, and it's weird. Yeah. So, "Lift Your Hips for Me, Love" has become like synonymous with Book Talk everything and it's very strange but it's not a long written out scene that's the thing no 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 no. it's not it has like a suggestive sentence or two and that's where it kind of ends that's all some people that's all some people need to get sorry (laughs) just don't go to YA for it that's not what YA is for no it's not. Like, I'm great for sex. I'm all for sex positivity in YA books because teens need to read that stuff. Um, but adults should not be reading that stuff thinking it is the same as their adult romance. It's, no, it's, it's just, not. It's a completely different genre. Completely different. Makes me uncomfy. Yeah. So I think it was handled okay in this book. It was definitely spicier than, like, what was around when we were teenagers. But... Mm-hmm. It wasn't crazy. So, like, it felt right for these characters in these moments, and I just kind of left these teenagers with that. And was happy that they found each other, because they deserve each other. (laughs) 
happy they communicated their feelings to each other. Finally. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Took forever. Oh my god. Um, any other last comments, Julia? Nope. Oh man. Oh, I can't believe we're finally done with the series. I know. Well, we we still have a little bit left. But we do, but it's like but a spin-off. The story the, is the done. true trilogy is yeah, done. Yeah, it's over. I, we will eventually, for listeners, we will. If you're still listening after this two-hour <laughs> podcast, um, we will eventually read how the King of Elfheim came to hate stories. I haven't even read that. Me neither. We'll read it at some point. It'll be, like, fun. It'll probably be, like, an hour and a half max of a podcast episode. Just, like, very quick and easy. Um, We'll get around to it at some point. But we will be starting a new full series book after this episode. Um, So you can expect to see an intro episode for that soon. And with that, um, we'll quickly plug our social media that we use so frequently um you can follow us on instagram and facebook at unnecessary angst pod on twitter at unangst pod and you can email us at unnecessary angst pod at gmail.com and with that we're gonna go to bed so (laughs) have a lovely night day afternoon wherever you are whenever you're listening and we will talk to you next week Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.